Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The girl band is back in town. We've got another episode of Boots, Balls, and Bras coming at you from all different places this morning. Eartha Pond, you're in a recording studio, it looks like. Farah Williams, you just somersaulted out of bed into the next room. <laughs> exactly. Not even teddy bear roll was the one. <laughs> I've never heard of teddy bear roll. Yeah. Is that like a British thing or what? What is that even? You just like hold your feet and you like roll on your bum round. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Hand me off. when I try to do yoga. This is morning <laughs> voice, guys. Morning voice. Tired morning. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we're not tired today because we've got a lot of really cool things that we're chatting about. We've got a guest on, as you've probably seen, the one and only Anita Asante, first team coach for Bristol City now, but with an amazing history in the game, which we'll get into. Uh, our first half, we're going to be talking about, gosh, a topic that I don't think you can avoid now um, and has to be the main uh, point of contact or point of conversation for this week, which is player well-being and ACL injuries. Uh, halftime team talk, we'll do our football roundup, and then we're going to get Neats on for the second half. So let's kick it off with our first half. You guys, I genuinely am sick of talking about ACL injuries, player well-being, injuries in general. And obviously, we've all seen that Leah Williamson, the Lionesses captain, tore her ACL uh, in the game against Man United during the week, which kicks off our conversation. But we've had her joining now, Beth Mead, who has been on our podcast, Viv Miedema, who showed up in our podcast Outside in the Garden, um, Ballon d'Or winner Alexia Puteas, Simone McGill from uh, Northern Ireland, France striker Maria Antoinette Catoto. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. And the biggest question is really why are so many women footballers suffering these injuries and what do we do about it? Who wants to kick this one off? I'm Go not on either of us can, but yeah, I think look, there's so many there's so much one, there's so much research still needing to be done in the women's game. Um I know people say, Oh, we spoke about this twenty years ago, yeah. But the game's now professional, so it's completely new for everybody in terms of how the women's body, I believe, would work. It's completely different to the men's. So in terms of the research for me and the body, what it can load, how much loading it can do, how long does it take for the bodies to be able to withstand that? So it's not just a case of, okay, we know the women's body can do X amount of, you know, um, fitness training, strength conditioning training, game loading through the week. But if you haven't trained your body up to deal with that amount, like how long does it take for that to happen? But also, um, you, you know, we heard Beth Mead, if you haven't heard that podcast, on that podcast mentioned that her and Vivian Mead and I were doing um, research into um, the, the, the ACL injury. And the interesting point that she made on that was around, when your your body is stressed, so when you're in stress and how many of athletes that actually the ACL occurred around the time that they had off-field stuff or problems mm -hmm. going on and they were actually stressed in their day-to-day -day life, 
take out the football. And uh, actually, that probably was something that led to their injury. So that was quite an interesting point that she made on that. I'm quite looking forward to seeing what research come from that. But there's so many different reasons that we can be pointing at that need to be done. Um, I guess we don't know where the game is in terms of where, the, like they've obviously started the research into that and how they can prevent these type of injuries. But yeah, I don't know what more there is to be done. I know there's obviously a lot more, but in terms of my knowledge and depth of that, it's not great. Uh, for you probably know more, you've suffered yourself an ACL. I never have to even know the traumas of that and, you know, the mental, the, the psychology and all of that that goes with the recovery of it. So maybe you can tap into, you, you know, what you went through and where you think it's at now. Yeah, I I think definitely it's a long journey and I think players know that in terms of um, getting back and as the game's more professional I think the sort of well-being and support around that is much better um, at this moment in time I think it's just really funny that it's taken players to kind of lead this research and really kind of say enough is enough for for stuff to sort of be looked into um, and I think it's actually a point you mentioned, Farah, around the stress. And I know we've touched on it on the pod about, and um, we've joked about it in terms of like pressure is a privilege. Actually, is there a thin line between pressure and stress? And as the game's growing, that expectation in terms of what the outside world is sort of looking for you to do and continue to do and achieve. And I think an example of that would be the Lionesses winning in the summer and now the expectation to go on and do something bigger and better at the World Cup um, could that play as a factor in terms of the Lionesses and I guess what they want to do going forward in the World Cup and I guess if we're looking at Leah as the captain like how much pressure how much stress must that be in order to sort of lead that line and we, we talked about again that transition of the squad and Steph and other ex-players and how Serena's trying to build on that Again, it's now it's about actually I'm trying to lead that line. What does that look like for me as a leader, not just on the field, but off the field? And I guess it's not just about participation. It's about behaviours. It's, it's about the social aspect as well. And how do you sort of bring that all into one space? But I think I know sometimes people might just point the finger at what's a club doing? How come a club's got so many injuries in one space? And I think there's so many other pieces to that that puzzle. Um we know we've seen Leah talk about stuff around menstrual cycle before. Can that have an impact? And I think there's so many different things that play. You know on that, yeah. Erfa, you know on that because I believe I could be wrong, but in, and maybe either of you can help me out. In 2019, the World Cup, the uh, US national team trialed it for the first time, mm-hmm. did they? Um, yeah. And off the back of that, there was quite a few injuries. I'm not saying ACLs, but we saw that Mewis was out, Lavelle was out, Ertz was out. Christine Press was out I think Tobin Heath there was a lot of injuries off the back of that mm-hmm. now similarly I'm sure the Lionesses whether it was they did it in this Euros or was it the um, Olympics just before they trialled it now we're coming off the back of the same trialling that the menstrual cycle and how you manage that through tournaments over a period of time 10 weeks mm-hmm. so then off the back of that you go back to your clubs and kind of like is that then forgotten as in the, the, the management of that. And then all of a sudden, players are getting injured off the back of it. I don't yeah. know. This is something I'm throwing out because yeah. I believe yeah. that both national teams tried it. And then you look at or trialed it. And then you look at the amount of injuries off the back of it. Because if you do something with your menstrual cycle for a 10-week period, and then you go back to normal life, I guess, you know, in terms of your club and you're not managing it the same way you did for that 10 mm-hmm. weeks, what will happen to our body? Yeah, and I think that's, that's the biggest issue, isn't it? Because, 
you know, female footballers are up to six times more likely to suffer a non-contact ACL injury than the male counterparts. And that's the part that I always found so fascinating from the research that the very little research that is out there, it's mm-hmm. non-contact really that is causing these ACL injuries. So really that is, look to, for me, is there's a big difference between the male and female body as well. But because only 6% of the studies are done exclusively on females, mm-hmm. we just don't have that research. So we do know things like that there's a connection between the menstrual cycle and injury. So the changing of the hormones and how that can impact and affect the physiological physiology and biomechanics of the body. So for example, when estrogen is going up and then, you know, that affects the stability of the joints. So there are sort of things that we know, but there's no causal effect of it because of the lack of research. And if you look at, you know, the fact that you have to not only track it over months, but over years and also link it into, well, when they do get the ACL injury, so you have to wait till you get the injury to do it. The lack of research is, is sort of the biggest thing for me, but also the fact that, um, that there is a difference, you know, we have generally more looseness and range of motion in our knees than males do. Um, and also boots play a big part of that. One of my friends, uh, Laura Youngston started that company, Ida sports. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's, mm-hmm. um, they started fo- making football boots for women because they did all the research and they found that women have on average more narrow feet. They're more triangular in shape compared to the men's feet, which are more rectangular. They need more arch support because, um, our arches tend to collapse more and that makes the knee go inward, which is what causes the pressure and that, that, ACL then to to pop because mm-hmm. a lot of it even if you watch really painfully watching Leah's injury and the mecha- mechanics of that it, her knee comes in and then the pressure load so women have different body weight we carry it differently in different parts of our body so you have to customize that with the studs on the bottom of the of the shoes and absorb that weight bearing pressure and then also like how we move in the multi-directional movement we all know that football is you know coming back going forward changing directions but really to support the female athletes biomechanics, sorry, biomechanics, Mm -hmm. I'm having trouble with that word today, but to reduce that like rotational traction where we're going sideways and then getting stuck and twisting. So there's so many issues where it's, there's just differences and we just don't have that research. So I totally agree with you on that one. But Bex, just on that, just on that quickly, Bex, like there's Mm -hmm. all these different resources and all this like great work that's being done in silos. I think the key thing for me is just the lack of communication like mm-hmm. there's things happening at club, there's things happening at country, there's things happening in terms of research, but no one's talking to each other. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of I get the game, particularly in England, I think it's at a place now where it's just going to get bigger and bigger, but it's still controllable where actually all these different aspects can have that conversation and look and share data and share research and see what's happening. And I just don't think that's happening in terms of really putting that time aside to look at what's important for the player. I think there's so much focus in the investment and in the the bigger picture of the game that, again, and I might be wrong, we're neglecting the most important thing, which is the players on the pitch. And we've talked about it before, haven't we? It's the lack of incentivization for the different groups in, in and around football to actually make the player their main priority. And I think you're right, because even when I was at FIFA, we, I did a bunch of research. We did it with FMARC. Um, we, we, we asked a bunch of players and not just, like you said, it's not just the phys- physicality of the, of the injuries, but it's also what's, what's the setup, you know, do you have a physio, do you have a full-time, 
time doctor? Do you have access to those physios and doctors? What type of prehab, prehabilitation are you doing? Preventive, preventative medicine, preventative injury, um, you know, exercises are you doing? All of these things. We did all that research. It never got published. And in the end, I had to sort of give it to FIFPRO and they have their first employment study on women's footballers. So you're right. None of this is new. We've done that since 2016, 2017. Yeah. It's been follow-up reports the whole time. We know it's coming. We, I also have done a research project with Isokinetic Medical Center just literally recently on ACL injuries in female footballers across the top four or five leagues in the world. So we know the research is out there, but it's how does it then filter down into the physios and the doctors that are working on the ground with the teams and also the players themselves so that they're better educated on how can they prevent things that they don't have to wait on physios and their clubs to do it. You know, what can they be doing? <laughs> but mental, the mental side's massive. Farah, you mentioned it too. Why are you yeah, laughing? No, no, I'm just like, I don't know, like, obviously I, I look, I've never had an ACL injury. I'm just mm. like, there's so many, like, there's obviously a lot to be done, right? And obviously the well-being of players, like I think Eartha touched on it there in terms of like, you think of the stress of those players after a Euros in terms of all eyes on them. Uh, you know, there would have been lots of work and commercial stuff, on-field, off-stuff, on-field pitch, whatever, and off-the-pitch stuff mm. that they would have had to have dealt with. How was that being managed? How was there the pressures of that being managed? But I wanted to go back to the point that you said about the football boots. For me, mm. right? Maybe football boots are a problem. Maybe women's football feet are obviously different, right? That that for me isn't one of the major reasons as to why women suffer ACL injuries, right? Women, The women's game has suffered the most ACL injuries in the last 16 months. What has changed in the last 16 months as to there being so many ACL injuries? Because we've played the game for many a years. The boots have always been the same. Mm. So we've always had to wear men's boots. There was never half as many injuries as the, back then and even like in the last five years as there has been in the last 16 months right and I understand the women change the boots every quarter for some mad reason because they're all sponsored so they all get the new colored boots and new styled boots out so they're constantly changing their and adapting their boots but to the style of who to whose foot to whose body do you know mm. what I mean so that, that's like that's it. Yes, it's an issue. but my point mm. is is that that we, we've women have always had to play rugby players whatever they've always had to play in men's boots and there's not been this amount of ACL injuries in the last 15 months in any women's sport than there has been. So oh. I can't understand. We can't just go, it's the boots. Like, no, no, it's not. It's not it's the, the boots. Yeah, but, no, but, the there's been a lot said about, oh, it's always boots. Been more. I, I, I always listen been and I read, I read on Twitter male. where you see parents go, I can't buy female, I can't buy my daughter a pair of boots. Well, you can, because I got boots when I was a kid. Yes, they might have been boys, but we never knew the difference back then. There's no boys and women's boots. Exactly. There's, just, there's no there's boys just, or women's boots. Just, just label it that. It's just, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, but guess, the point is, is that female body, and that's the same thing as, that's, that's equal to saying, well, there's no, there's no, there's no male and female research. There's only research, but that's wrong. Like no, female, wrong. women have totally men. different hormones. They have totally different biomechanics. Oh. Our bodies shapes are differently. We carry weight distribution differently. Like, so that therefore we have to look at everything of course, totally, but you know, on that text, we totally only female. We only, you think you think supplements? So we go. Oh, you yeah. know what? Women need quick supplements, quick protein put into their body after a training session. That research has only ever been done around a men's body. Amen. Hence why I would never take whatever you put in my body, this beetroot juice and this stupid protein powder and all that crap <laughs> that has been put and tested on a man's body and not mine. So yeah. what I'm saying to you, it's not just injuries, it's yeah. everything, every part yes. of research. They go, we've got to do this recovery because this recovery works. We've got to do this fitness test because this fitness test has mm. worked. It only, it's been, it's been researched on the men. 
you're mm. trying to break me into doing a, a fitness test that my female body is incapable of doing. Is and that I'm just your excuse though, Farah? Or partly, like, partly, <laughs> I'm quite open to accepting that, partly. Yeah. But also, I'm not an idiot. I'm not somebody that is just going to pretend that these things are okay mm. when I know that they haven't been trialed with females. But well, surely the, it... the research is to make the performance better than what it currently is. It's not saying that actually the boots are bad and the performance is bad. It's actually, they're trying to say, can we like redefine yeah. this to make it even better for the female yeah. body? So, so using those, I think those comparisons in terms of male and female, it, I would be more leaning to an, an excuse because you see players that, just use any resource and are still amazing. There's people that don't even have boots and, can still, and, and are still amazing. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that point is, is really important, what you mentioned, Farah, in terms of how can we use those resources to, to better female performances. And I think it's about bettering rather than it making it worse because they're using those specific aspects or those specific resources. And I think going back to your point, Farah, which is a good one, is the difference... Um, that it's not just the boots, but it's having to look at the whole picture. And even when you look at, we talk about this topic all the time, but the investment into women's sports at a younger age. So you look at how the boys have been groomed from five years old already to take those loads a lot earlier on. So rather than saying, oh, well, these 20 something year old female athletes, they have weaker things and we're, we're less strong and we're less fat. That's not only the part of it, the the whole picture is that from five years old, the boys have been taking loads a lot harder, a lot more professional, you could say, with better coaching, with better movement, with better eye hand-eye coordination, all the things from when they're five years old. So it's it is a physiological difference that makes them stronger, that makes them more resilient in their ligaments and in those structures in their bodies as well. But it's also a mental side, you know, that boys are used to being like you say, doing all the fitness tests from five, six, seven, however old they are, whenever they start doing the fit. But it's a mental strength as well that comes with that type of training from such a young age that, you know, I think that you can't deny the fact that the social aspect has part to play as well. So physiological, social, mental, all of it. It's 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 a big picture. But do you reckon we're seeing now, say, the repercussions of the, the fact that the game's only been professional, what, seven, eight years or whatever? Absolutely. So in terms of, like, the shift in terms of, like, okay, now we've put this demand on the women's body or the, the player's body for that amount of years, and now we're seeing, actually, it's come to a, a bit of a... a Absolutely. A, a in terms of, actually, we can't cope with those demands without rest because you think we've had like three near enough back-to-back tournaments we're going into another back-to-back tournament so more mm. for the internationals but it's not just the international players that are getting injuries so it can't just be the loading of games because it ain't just you know you've seen um you've seen some of the some some of the, the women in WSL2 that have suffered ACL injuries some of the players that are non-internationals in the WSL1 that are, or the women's championship not WSL2 and WSL1 in terms of like there's been players that are non-internationals so mm-hmm. we talk about player loading I don't think it's just a factor of players being overloaded. Yes, it doesn't help, but it's not just that. There's more to it than actually the players just being overloaded now. That needs to be done within the game. But look, this 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 debate can go on forever. Mm. Um, something definitely needs to change. I think I think Beth Mead made a, a really valuable point in the podcast when she said, if this amount of ACLs had happened in such a short space of time in the mm. men's game, would they have just continued to allow for it to happen? Or would something have been done a lot sooner? Probably done sooner. So yeah. hopefully now it's, you know, something will be done with high profile players within our game, picking up these types of injuries. 
I think it, that's a great point, like you mentioned, I think, Farah, in terms of up and down the pyramid, it, it's happening across the leagues. And I think I saw Siobhan Wilson, who plays with Blues, who, and also one of the reggae girls who's going to be missing the World Cup, also mm. just had an ACL injury. Yeah. But just back to your point, Bex. So you see that floppy disk that your research is catching dust on that you've done for FIFA? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. In terms of like... All that, all that time <laughs> and energy all I put that into time. it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real question. It was question. a square disk too. Do you remember those? Yeah. You see that accountability piece? Because there's loads of people who just get commissioned to do research and they get paid and we put money into it and there's all this stuff sitting everywhere. Like, what I'm trying to think, like, what's the outcome of that? Because some, yes, we're talking about the games only being professional like seven, eight years, but I'm sure there's stuff that's been looked at and people have been paid to do research on that could have impacted this stuff within the game. Yeah, where does that account? Where does that? Where does that lie? Because I see loads, loads of people getting commissioned to do research and, <laughs> and find you know, out what's the thing, and then they just you know it's sitting it on a floppy disk somewhere. It's that it's that connect, right? It's like all of the academia world doing all this stuff that makes them feel really happy, and oh, I get to publish this and publish mm-hmm. that, and I got my name put on a public. But actually, it's how do you then connect it to the physios, the players? Exactly what I was saying. That, that where, where there really is a tangible outcome of this is how you can prevent ACL injury because we know how to rehab. The, the research on rehabbing female footballer ACL injuries, I mean, we have that covered. I mean, we, we're ahead of the game versus the men on that one, but how do we really prevent it? And some of the stuff that FIFA did, like, you know, how a lot of it is not behind. good. It but- doesn't make sense. One of the things that they did do, which was great, was they had this like really simple warm up exercise where they could implement it globally. Right. It was called the FIFA plus. It was the 11 plus. And there were 11 exercises and that was just warming up your whole body. And that could be sent out to the whole planet and they could just do these exercises. And that was proven to have reduced injury because a lot of people like don't know how to warm up. Right. So something like that, that is just so simple. And I'm not saying the solution to the ACL prevention is so simple, but what are those tangible things that we have to be doing in order to be like working on prehab? What exercises should we be doing? What and what mental sort of standing and balancing and closing your eyes like that all has to do with the knee injuries that people aren't looking at. We used to do this thing called live kinetics at Wolfsburg. So what, what really tangibly is the program that female athletes need to be doing from a young age until they're professional that is going to prevent these ACL injuries? That's what I want to know. Load the floppy disk. You know, like so much to do, so much yeah. to do. All right. So uh, I think that, could round up our first half, even though, like you said, Farah, we could probably continue on that one. There's so many arguments for it. And it's, yeah, I'm even getting frustrated sitting there listening. That's why I've shut my mouth for a minute. It is annoying. I remember all the things they used to try and say to you as a footballer. It's just honestly annoying. Like you think like 30 years on, we're still in the same position yeah. we were 30 years ago. So yeah, it's just frustrating hmm. uh, for the game. And, and then just hearing you say that, the research that had been done that put us ahead of the game and now we've fallen behind the game. It doesn't make yeah. sense. So yeah, that just pissed me off. So, and you can keep that part in. I don't mind that I'm swearing. <laughs> yeah, go on. We're all pissed off at this point about it. That's yeah. the point, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up our first half. All right. So moving into our halftime team talk, we had a couple matches ahead of the champions league they were man united upset arsenal at home one nil 
Brighton beat Everton 3-2 in a very exciting game. And then we had a Champions League break. Let's chat about those two games first. Man United, Arsenal. Thoughts on that? I, I'll give mine first. I thought it was a fairly, I don't know, unexciting game, I would say. Um, I felt like Man United deserved the win. Um, but then also given the fact that Leah Williamson obviously had her ACL early on in the game, that must have rattled the Arsenal team. But yeah, I thought it was a deserved win by Man United and sets them in a really good spot for, for the league now. Why is it an upset though, Bex? I don't, why do you think it was an upset in terms of... Because Arsenal I think that it? everyone was expecting Arsenal to win. I think Arsenal is expected at the beginning of the season, at least, and we have said that they would be 100% top three and it would be Man United vying for that maybe third position with Man City. So, yeah, I think that a lot of people expected Arsenal to... Um, to win that game. I think just the way the season has been going, I think I would have definitely had United um, to, to take the points. Obviously, they, they beat Arsenal at home and then to go there, I think, yeah, just their consistency throughout the season. There was nothing in me that thought that Arsenal would go to United um, and win. And obviously, it was, I think it was more windy than the Wizard of Oz when he was there, right, Farrah? So, Honestly, I think that had an impact on the game as well. Yeah, maybe the wind it, it did, but it, in terms of the game itself, really flat from both teams. Yeah. I don't think any teams injected any sort of energy. Um, I actually thought Leah's injury at the time affected the United team more so than the Arsenal team. Uh, Man United had a complete off day in terms of like their passing, in terms of chances created. Um, Arsenal were obviously short in numbers. Katie McCabe was, was suspended. They'd just come off the back of um, Kim Little announcing an injury. Obviously, Leah got injured in the game, but I mean, Arsenal had chances. I didn't really see a, the, the Russo goal come six minutes into added time of the first half. Um, apart from that, and Sinsberger's volley at the end, the last kick of the game, I didn't really see any of the teams scoring. So it was a pretty flat game. Um, mm. But United did really well to get the three points and yeah, get that, that result across the line. Um, so yeah, not much really to say about the game. I think the Everton-Brighton game was a lot more entertaining than... Mm. Um, so, yeah, sorry, Brighton-Everton. Yeah, I said that. Mm, they yeah. were a lot more entertaining and Melissa Phillips what a job she's doing there by the way with with Brighton um so yeah big three points for them before heading into the weekend yeah that puts them in 10th well in 10th place with 12 points um at 17 matches so there's still one one match to go behind some of the other teams as well it was an exciting game as well wasn't it it was goals back and forth not 100% sure about the penalty kicks, but as I'm not one to criticise referees, I'll, I'll let that slip. She sort of had one for each side. So. The rest have had a poor week, to be honest with you. <laughs> we won't talk too much about it. I know there's a lot of managers out there unhappy with refereeing decisions over the weekend. And I, it, it's frustrating that they keep going. Uh, what it allows for, whilst the whilst the women's referees aren't professional or the, the, women, the, the referees within the women's game aren't professional, um, it gives a lot of reasoning for coaches to just point the finger at them and say it needs to be better. Um, I just think sometimes the game's a little bit too quick. They probably need a little bit of support of their um, assistant referees on the side to help them with some of the decisions. Which is normal. Um, that's how yeah. that's how the and teams work not, anyway. Yeah, And it's not really happening because I think there was some there was some penalties given that probably shouldn't have been over the weekend. Um, In that Brighton-Everton game specifically? Or, I thought the Man no, United-Arsenal no, 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 game was very just, good. Just the weekend. Just the weekend. Sorry, the weekend's fixtures. The Reading game in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought the Man United Arsenal game, though, I, I really liked um, how the ref, the ref managed that game well because there wasn't it was. There was much to be refed in it, though. Let's be honest. There was not really well, anything. Because she didn't, didn't allow it either. So, 
the game was there was nothing in the game to, to need to be they probably if there was no officials on the pitch it would have been all right it flowed normally yeah, but that, see, that's the hard like, part about refereeing, though, right? Well, no, because yeah, if they do their job right, then it makes it makes it. It's like center back. If you do your job right, you're like that was an easy game. You know, they're always in the right place, at the right time. They quashed all it, but actually, I think there was a lot to manage in that game, and I thought she did well. So, just shout out to referees and the match officials when they do do a good job and when they aren't noticed, um, which I, d- I definitely thought the Man United Arsenal game was was a great example of that. But, but yeah, over to in that game there was not there was not much to there was not there weren't like dirty challenges, there wasn't anything that was really difficult. Of course they just cruised through the game like the players. It was a really flat, boring game. They did they didn't have to officiate anything that was controversial in that game. Um anyway, over to the next games. Uh which ones should we go? Brighton Everton, anything else on that one? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. No, that was 3-2. That was fine. I think Brighton, big, big three points for them. They needed it. I think it's more this weekend's fixtures that were were more important. I think Liverpool getting three points against Brighton set them back. Everton, so Reading being two 0 up and then losing, yeah, two to Everton, big big three points dropped, and then obviously the Villa game two ahead and Tottenham coming back into it, getting that, like, that game was mad, and then falling behind. Um, yeah, but yeah maybe maybe the pressures. I don't know. Maybe down at the bottom. Um, I expected Villa once a two up against a, a an, an out of form Tottenham team. They've been out of form most of the season. Mm. I expected them to get the three points from that. They allowed Tottenham back into the game. Um, Reading when a two up against Everton, I would have expected them to hold that out. I know the certainly, but you know the first penalty of Reading was never a penalty. Yeah, L kicked the air, kicked the ball, and got a penalty for that. Uh, yeah. with limited contact and but then, then also vice versa on the Everton. I think was not a good call either. Changed the momentum of the game because they mm. got. It was not again a penalty, so it just shifts momentum. Um, Everton then take control of the game, go on and and beat Reading. Um, the Liverpool game, poor goals for for Brighton to concede a really good goal they scored, um, but really really two poor goals for them to concede a deflected goal, um, and then one that uh, deflected goal from Holland, and then one that probably Kuhlberg uh, should have dealt with before Holland getting a second. So. Yeah, and then obviously the City game yesterday, City against West Ham. I don't know if any of you watched it. That was great. Dreadful defending throughout the six whole game. Two. Yeah, but Man dreadful City West Ham six both two. Parts, both parts. The defending was poor, sloppy game, lots of goals. Um, yeah, an awful, in my opinion, an awful watch. Mm. On that one, Steph Houghton scored her uh, a goal on her thirty fifth birthday, and we did have a fan question or a few fan questions asking about Steph Houghton. Has she entered it back into the chat? When World Cup call out, do we stick with progressing the youth? Um, so that's sort of been called back into into contention. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Really keen to hear. She doesn't get called back. No, 
still out. doesn't come back in the team. I think I, I think with Leah's injury, I don't think... I mean, the important thing is we get Millie Bright back. Yeah. I think he's got a more realistic chance of getting back into the squad. Um, Esme Morgan, if you watch Jeff City, I actually really like her as a player. I think she's a fantastic player. Um, obviously, Alex Greenwood will return to the squad as normal. You've got the likes of Lotta Ruben-Moy. You've got Jess Carter. So I don't even see uh, Steph... I don't see Serena going backwards to move forward it, mm. You know, into a World Cup. Could be wrong. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I, th- I think Serena's going to do what's right for the squad. She's not going to be sort of influenced by any of the sort of outside pressures and thoughts. Um, as I said, I think she would have had her first, second, third squad, like different ways that they want to play sort of banked a while ago. Like you'd have to do something really special. Or there has to be like a influx of injuries for her to to change that. I think, like Farah said, they've, they've been prepping from the 23s and players coming in and um, just looking at different formations. Uh, it, it will take something special for Steph to to come in, but it, it looks like she's ready, ready and waiting. And, and if she's called upon, like, I guess, most proud Lionesses, they'll step up and, and be part of it. So, mm. yeah, looking forward to, to what that squad looks like. And all she can keep doing, like the rest of the players, is just keep, doing what they do for their club week in, week out. And then the rest is over to the leaders who are in charge of making that decision. Yeah, seems like it. And back to your Spurs-Aston Villa, because it ended at 3-3, a draw. But that was a, I actually thought Spurs leading 2-0, sorry, Aston Villa leading 2-0 was going <coughs> to put it away. And then um, came, the comeback from Tottenham was great. And then the finish off by Daly. Going back to your question from last week, Eartha, who's, who's the striker that you would want on? I'm still going to go with Daly, man, because she keeps scoring week in, week out, and she is just in the right place at the right time. So well, a big up to uh, Spurs for leading with the comeback and then for Daly for uh, at least getting that point for Aston Villa, which means that they sit at fifth in the table behind Arsenal at fourth with 30 points. All right, let's move on to Champions League because that's what we all want to be talking about anyway. Chelsea lost to Barcelona at home at Stamford Bridge. Uh, record-breaking crowd, 1-0 they lost. Thoughts on that game? They have a mountain to climb at the camp. <laughs> Ain't no mountain high they do. It's a mountain to climb to go there and get anything from there. They're, they're, they really needed something, um, minimal draw to take over um, to the Camp Nou. So I think it's going to be difficult. I think... What might help them is the experience of playing them. So knowing how it feels to play against Barca, because there's always that kind of fear factor. Barca are like 60 unbeaten in their league. So to go into that game, knowing the dominance that they normally have within games, I think actually Chelsea feeling that out and only going a goal behind might help them. I do I do think it is a mountain to climb, though. Um, mm. I think Chelsea were better in this game than they were two years ago, three years ago, was it, in Absolutely. the final? Absolutely, yeah, um, 4-1. So they were better. But they still don't. I mean, obviously, Lucy block, block, bronze with the block. But I don't. I don't see it at the minute whether it be in WSL, Champions League, or the Cup. I don't actually see where goals come from with Chelsea. Sam Kerr being the only player, but the system that they're playing at the minute is just getting no support in and around Sam. Um, mm. So difficult, difficult. I don't see how they recover it, which is a tough. Tough for me to say, but yeah, I don't know uh, what what you're thinking. I'd... That's that's exactly what I thought when Australia were playing England, and then look what happened. <laughs> they found support from everywhere, and um, yeah, no, Chelsea managed, was man- going to win this one, right? Managed, managed to take the win. Yeah, I, no, no, I, I think in terms of it being one nil for me, 
looking at the dominance and the way that Chelsea play, yes, like they're playing Barcelona, but just in terms of them and their football, if there's any team that I think could firm up and make and get it over the line, I still think it will be Chelsea. So mm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm so glad me and you are not managers, Farrow, because I know we'll just be like, let's just go for it. But there needs to be some sort of tactics <laughs> yeah. in terms of timings and going for it and when you go, when you don't go. But if it's me and I'm manager, I'm saying I, we, we're going to lose 10-0 or we're going <laughs> to go out you know and what, uh, on, go for the 4-0 2021 The times that Chelsea pressed Barca, I thought they were better. Mm. When they sit in with that back five, they're then too far away from Sam Kerr. But yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, I know Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes will look at that. And Barcelona rarely adapt. So Barcelona pretty much have a style that they pretty much play all of the time. They're consistent with that. Um, Emma's more of an adaptable coach. Her players are more adaptable. So if they look back at that first leg and analyse it and come up with a game plan, I think that having felt the game, having felt what Barca can bring, Mm. Um, I do think that Emma is a coach that certainly can go there with a different game plan that will give him a better chance. But I just, I think it's, a, as I said, a mountain to climb for them. Mm. I, think I think it's great. Like, it's it's so interesting hearing you guys' perspective because it's very, like, clearly, obviously, from the English side because I think, like, looking at that game, I didn't see Barcelona get out of third gear, maybe. Mm. I felt like they dominated. They had, you know, they obviously had most of the possession, which is what they're used to. But I just felt like they at any time they could sort of turn it on and, Paraguelo, oh my God, what a player. I mean, in terms of, yes, they do play a lot of possession, but I think now they have that opportunity to be a bit more direct with some of the players that they brought in. Um, so, yeah, I I agree. I don't think, I, I mean, I can't see Chelsea winning against Barcelona, but if they did, it would be probably the biggest upset in women's football history as of now, because that team should, I mean, dominate any club team, I think. We go uh-huh. 30 minutes, we just go all out, we end up going ahead and then we just sit be disciplined back, low and block. sit back and just, and just defend. <laughs> Park I, think, the bus. I, think, I think defensively they're, they're, they're good enough to do that. They and were good. We just, we just go out and just... They were yeah. very good defensively. And I'd like to say that too, because Magda Eriksson, who obviously was out at some time, you know, rumors were speculating that was potentially because she was not going to be signing again with Chelsea. And so there were other, she was out of the, the, the squad. She was amazing. She dominated that defense. She ran it beautifully. So defensively, I thought, you're right. Chelsea was amazing in that game. Mielda, man, what a player, by the way. Mielda, oh my God. The way she just reads the game casually. She hasn't played in God knows how long. Honestly, her yeah. reading and understanding of the game, phenomenal player. Jesus Absolutely. Christ. <laughs> I don't know how much he can help them, but we'll see. We will see in the in the Wakunda in the next game. All right, we got Wolfsburg Arsenal. That game was a surprise for me because 19 minutes first goal, 24 minutes second goal. Wolfsburg goes up 2-0 on a sunny day with 22,000 fans screaming in their Wolfsburg stadium. I mean, and Arsenal, knowing that Arsenal has just lost five of their best or top players, let's say, I mean, mentally, physically, they should have put that game to bed at 25 minutes. Mate, and then Wolfsburg Arsenal. flopped. Wolfsburg absolutely flopped. Like Arsenal, absolutely unbelievable. From Arsenal, the character they've shown with the amount of injury they got, a weakened, weakened Arsenal team away at Wolfsburg who rarely concede goals. To come back from 2-0 down, bearing in mind the opening goal was from a, a defensive mistake. They basically mm. gifted them it. To the come back goal, from 2-0 yeah. down, or the second, yeah, the pass across, sorry, second. To come back from 2-0 down, to go back to the Emirates, who have sold out 45,000. Potentially, they're going to sell more knowing they're still in a tie. 
that's going to be difficult for Wolfsburg now. I think it's in Arsenal's hands. Yeah, Wolfsburg do. gave it away. They they threw they threw the tie away pretty much. I think they needed that Agreed. that lead to come over to the Emirates. Um, Arsenal did honestly they did so well. Katie McKay, big up the big body check <laughs> straight in Oberdorf. She ain't ever none of it. You found my play. I'm stepping into. Did you see it? That was mad. Yeah, did you see it? Mate, that was mad. Didn't even need to do it. It's like ninety minute, but love it. Yeah, love get, it. she it's loves those yellow cards. She can't help herself either, can she? It's love like it. she's so got to get in the air of every single ref. It's like so love you it. wonder too, like if it's part of the mental game though that like she's obviously playing. Like I think part of it is just the passion and like you say, she can't help it. But I, I do wonder sort of how much she does it on purpose just to get another uh, in the in the other team's heads, which yeah, you know, she it's does. A tactic, yeah. Of course she does. She's like, mate, she is in their head straight away All like, the time. early. Then she's like, Oberdorf, let's not forget. Like, I know she's young, but she is a big unit herself. <laughs> Kate, she bounced off Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Oh, I just love it. I love that. I love Katie's passion. I love it. I think I think Arsenal need a player like Katie in their team currently. With all the injuries they've got, they just need somebody to stand up and show that little bit of grit and fight because it actually rallied a couple of her own teammates that mm. you probably wouldn't even see get involved in that come around her. So I actually quite enjoyed that part of it. And yeah, as I say, the fight to come back in. Arsenal, man, they, they, Beth Mead might be right. They might be one English team and it might be Arsenal, which would be a shock considering... Yeah, we would have thought Chelsea would have progressed further than them. But yeah. Football's mad sometimes, isn't I it? I might also get a ticket for that Emirates game. That's what are you saying? Let's do it. Are you buying me um, some food? Because I'm not fasting anymore. So as long as you'll... Buy a chocolate bar. Thank you. Cheers. (laughs) I've also never seen a German squad play that bad passing game ever. Like, I don't think they could... They strung together more than three or four passes the entire game. And I'm not even exaggerating. It was every single... Every other pass just went away. It was was really poor um, from the German side. So... Mm. Very rare that you'll see that. So, yeah. All right. Well, then we've got the, uh, as far mentioned, Champions League coming up in on May 1st. We have the Arsenal hosting um, Wolfsburg at home in the Emirates. Hope you guys see you guys there. And the other game, I believe, is on the 27th, is it? Um, is that right? Yeah, 12, 27th. Barcelona, Chelsea at Camp Nou. Uh, I wonder what that attendance is going to look like if it's going to beat the other 92,000 attendances that would be amazing so that pretty much wraps up our halftime team talk and getting into the second half we have a very special guest Anita Asante is coming on so stick around for that all right well we are kicking off our second half of boots balls and bras with a very special potentially maybe hungover, but she hasn't said that to us, but could have been given their win over the weekend. Anita Asante. Big up, big up, big up. Congrats, congrats, congrats. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. I'm going to do a little intro for you. Come on, man, be more enthusiastic. She's hanging. She's hanging. I love it. I love it. Almost almost as bad as Farah rolling out of bed this morning with her somersault. (laughs) Were you the same? I'm actually impressed. You just got to roll up to your chair. You know, it's an early start. I'm impressed you got dressed. You have a little bit of makeup on. Like, this is a good start considering all the things. No, this cool makeup from last night, isn't it, Lee? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Anita Asante. <laughs> it's all happening. Man, she could join if she wants. <laughs> <laughs> 
Former center half or defensive midfielder, 71 caps for England. You have played four. This list is extensive and very impressive. Arsenal, Chelsea, Aston Villa, St. Louis Atletica, Chicago Red Stars, Washington Freedom, Sky Blue FC. Six, <laughs> yeah. Six seasons in Sweden, two with Gothenburg, Jotteborg, and four with FC Rosengord. And did I miss any club teams, first of all? No, I think you got them all. I got you them did. all. Okay, well, you thank did. you, well, Wikipedia. Fine. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you're now the first team coach at Bristol City. And first of all, a mahoosive congratulations for winning the promotion to the Barclays WSL next season. How rad. Hey, can you can you give us a quick background? I know that we we know, but how you got to Bristol City because that's a, a very impressive club list, players uh list. But how did you get into coaching and, and why Bristol City? Yeah, well, um, I did my UEFA B with the Welsh FA and Lauren Smith, our head coach at um, Bristol City, was one of my mentors. Um, and she, you know, we had a conversation and she said, you know, I'm looking for another assistant coach at the club. Um, you know, there's an opportunity for you if you want it to just experience what it's like on the grass. Uh, and me also living in Cardiff, you know, it makes sense to just cross the bridge an yeah. hour to, to Bristol so that I could be there, you know, as often as I possibly can as well. Um, and that's really how it came together. And I just think we we connected as people as well. And I think our values are similar and, you know, our kind of ambitions in the game are quite similar. So it was a natural sort of um, a, a progression to take up. That's awesome. So you're based in Cardiff now? Yeah, I'm in a town called Panath, just by Cardiff Bay. So, um, yeah, really nice, really quiet, but lots of outdoor space. Yes. Working over there. I'm a yeah, London girl, but. <laughs> I was just wondering how your Welsh is coming along, Neat. <laughs> no, Neat, you know, you know the fact that you went, obviously, for because obviously I, when I retired, I went, tried to go straight into coaching and stayed on at Reading for, for a little bit. Uh, didn't feel like I've got the opportunities to get on the grass and actually really try and develop as a coach. Have you had those opportunities at Bristol to be able to do that and really try and, you know, trial and error stuff in the, even though you're there in a team that was obviously, you mentioned the ambitions were to get promoted. Yeah, I, I do actually. I feel like um, in a way it's sometimes it's a bit scary, isn't it? Like that transition as a player uh, into coaching and especially having players that I played with at Villa who are now at Bristol City stepping up and being like a responsible coach when they they know me as a player is also a bit you know intimidating in a way and you kind of had that kind of uh, imposter syndrome sort of feeling at first but I think the fact that Lauren and Jenna Jen Foster the other assistant um have all sort of trusted me and allowed me to have room to 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 sort of make mistakes as well and learn as I'm going has, a, has actually given me more confidence. You know, I'm, I'm able to do more things in terms of, you know, not just a passing drill, but maybe team shape stuff, organisation, whatever, um, dripping in our principles in, in terms of the way we want to play in and out of possession. Um, I have the opportunities to do that here mm. with their support. And I think that's really important, especially when you're a new coach, is to feel that you have that space to just learn who you are because you're never the final article I think in mm -hmm. football 
you're always learning because you're always working with different people, you know, different management, different players. So yeah, I think um, I'm really grateful for that actually, you know, that I've had that chance to do that. It's just, just adding on that, like Farah, you mentioned like you didn't feel like you had that opportunity when you went on the grass. And I know both of you started off in terms of with the Welsh FA, in terms of your sort of coaching journey. I guess a question for Neitz is, if you didn't have Lauren as your mentor, do you think you would have had that opportunity to get on the grass or did you have anything else in terms of, I guess, other clubs coming in to, to offer you that opportunity to, to do some coaching outside of um, your mentor and doing the Welsh FA stuff? Well, I spoke to a lot of different coaches, head coaches, managers, you know, obviously Emma Hayes is my manager at Chelsea. Uh, Jonas Edeval I knew very well from Rosengord mm. so they were always offering the opportunity to like come into our environment if you want if you have the time be here but I felt like um, I didn't want to just go from just because I've played at the highest level as a player I'm going to jump straight to a team that is in the elite level of the game you know across all competitions where yeah the pressure is higher the expectation is higher but you maybe don't have the time to be able to do what you feel you need as a coach mm-hmm. to learn and grow. Um, and then you may be there more as a supportive aspect in terms of just interacting with players and, you know, helping them cope with those expectations and pressures. Whereas with Bristol, even though we are striving for promotion, because it's such a young team, you know, our youngest player is 17 through to our oldest player is around 30. It's, I had more space to, to, to go. They actually, you know, you need to develop players here. You need to mm-hmm. um, show them what is professionalism, help them learn how to be good professionals on and off the pitch. Um, so I think that's the main reason I felt this was the best sort of opportunity for me to take on. Yeah. Neat. So on that, so no, I, I, I couldn't, I agree. I agree in terms of like when you're in WSL1, the pressure to stay in that league gives you minimal you know, experiences or exposure to be able to to coach it without any experience, which we both would have gone into that league with, you know, next to no experience. What would you say then the main differences are between the two leagues? Is it the fact that you have to develop players? Like, is there a massive gap between WSL1 and championship players? I think the main difference is, yeah, I think it's the, obviously the quality of players in WSL1, they have more exposure to top level matches and competition, you know, both domestically and if they represent their national teams as well, you know, qualifying for major competitions in European Championships, Olympics, World Cups, that that means you're going to get, you know, better developed players who are better decision makers, maybe do, you know, make better decisions more often. That's the difference between world-class players and just good players. And I think young players, you you have to allow room for them to have their highs and have their lows and, and have those dips. They don't necessarily have that same trajectory where it's just like this sometimes and you have to give room for that and not demand that they should be here right now. Um, so patience is key uh, and I think that's one of the differences. But yeah, I think the speed of play, I think the overall, you know, of course the investment is growing in the WSL too. When you're looking at clubs like uh, Lewis, you know, Southampton, um you know, ourselves, London City, it's there. But obviously most of these clubs are smaller entities. They have men's clubs in the championship or in even lower divisions. And you've got in the WSL1, obviously more clubs under the umbrella of, you know, Premier League, 
status men's clubs. So the scope and room financially for them to do more, to, to get more experienced players and things like that is definitely, you know, uh, bigger. So mm. yeah, that is one of the main differences, um, I would say. Mm. Nisa, I have a question for you. You know, speaking of Cardiff, all three of us, far you and I all have a history there. Eartha, you might have been there actually as a as a fan, but we had our opening match against uh, GB New Zealand for the London 2012 Olympics. Um, and on that, going from your career as a player and representing your country and everything, going into coaching, you sort of touched on it, but I've seen some coaches try to do that. Britta Carlson, who was playing with me in Wolfsburg, she's now the assistant coach of the German national team. She, she was coaching Wolfsburg for a while. And there's clearly challenges, aren't there, going from being a player and being on that level to then coaching and having sort of a whole different vibe. How did you find that transition? And like, what, what sort of tips would you give to players who are looking to transition into coaching after such an illustrious career like what you had? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge for me, and I'm sure Farah can attest to this, is I thought I'd be a super frustrated coach because <laughs> you want things to happen now. You're like, yeah. come on, we're at this level, you're, you're driving for some goal or whatever it is, and you just want the quality to be there constantly all the time. So when things break down, you know, you, you're kind of like frustrated. So, so that was the biggest challenge at first is that, you know, I have to recognize really what, what, we're trying to do within our project and actually how we can help each individual get the best out of themselves both on and off the pitch as people mm. um and i think in terms of tips i think the biggest tip is just to make sure that you know where what you want to do and who you want to be as a coach you have identified your values in terms mm. of how you, you want the every player and person that you interact with in the club what kind of impact you may have by just that conversation you have, that your approach, your, you know, your tone, um, and that you're not afraid to be vulnerable and go, I don't really know how to approach this or, you know, do you mind having a look at this session plan? What do you think? And, and sharing of ideas because so much of football is sharing of ideas and sharing mm -hmm. of new methods and processes. Um, and to really, once you're in that environment, pick the brains of as many people as you can that have lived it and experienced it from people who are as fresh to coaching as I am or as yes. experienced in coaching as say like Nigel Pearson and our men's team, um, because you'll, you'll be surprised what little tips you, you get from them and just not managing your, your time. The one thing everyone has said to me is being a coach, it's so hard to switch off. And you're thinking about what's gone on in the session or whatever the day and you don't sleep and you're still thinking about it yeah. at 1 a.m. in the morning in the session tomorrow. And, and and the biggest tip is is learning when to switch off, to clock mm. off and to reset and to give yourself that breather. Neat, do you reckon um, do you reckon on that? Do you reckon like so because it's difficult, isn't it? You kind of, you know, as a player, when you're playing, you have like your own thoughts about how if you if you already because when I was playing, I started to think about wanting to be a coach. And so I already had my kind of thoughts around what my, I wanted my identity to look like and how I was going to coach and what type of person I was going to be. And obviously what helped was, you know, being coached by different coaches and things I liked and didn't like as a player through those coaches, I kind of added. Do you feel that you're getting closer to being the coach or understanding the type of coach you want to be? 
Yeah, I do. And it's funny because you know how we always talk about coaches as like old school, new school, all of this stuff. But you say you do certain things and you're like, oh, I, I kind of sound a bit old school. you know or whatever and and it's all because of our own experiences of what we've been exposed to like what like what's old school what have you done me (laughs) you know why i asked that Lisa, i'll tell you why i asked you the question because only yesterday like when you got promoted i'm on the phone to earth i'm like earth when are me, you and Neat's going to manage the team? I'm trying to work out what roles will be what. So <laughs> She's looking a job. No, yeah. No, I love that. Um, no, I just think that... Um, I just think that we've... Grow, I grew up in an environment, much like Farah, where when you're a young player, you come into a squad environment and you had senior players around you and you get on with it and you needed thick skin... And you needed to have a bit of edge to deal with those conditions um, because it just made you a bit tougher, you know, and and resilient. And now it's just a different time. You know, younger players have different challenges. They've got social media pressures. They've got all these other things going on. And we have to adapt. I have to adapt. I have to know what what their language is. I have to know what they're into a little bit uh, to engage with them as well and to sometimes get their buy-in. So that's what I mean in terms of I can't do what works for me yesterday, today, essentially, mm. um, with a lot of these players. And, and that's the biggest adaptation is knowing how to change with the time and with the game growing as well. So, so, so with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so quick question, Luke. So obviously I'm more I've gone into the sort of education route in terms of teaching and in terms of expectation of, of my young people are really just about participation and progress. Yourself and Farah looking in terms of, of coaching and talent. And it's just a question, maybe, I just want to know, because a lot of people ask me, like, oh, like, you lot were good when you were younger. And Farah talked about it when we had your Scott on around the squads back then and now. In terms of the youth coming through, because you guys are on the grass, like, if the youth when we were young had those resources that they have now, Who's better? I want to know, like, because the talent that when we were around was crazy. I want to know, like, what what are we saying? Is the old school talent taking it or is the new school talent just really another level? She's, she's going to have to be careful because she's in the game now coaching. No, no, it's just like, I guess, back then we didn't have the resources, right? So it's about actually maybe they're looking different. at it and saying they're privileged, yeah. I think it's different. I think it's, um, um, I, I would say we had really raw talent when when we were you know back in the day because it was like you had to find any opportunity to play anywhere on your street mm-hmm. in your backyard wherever and you know street football and things like that that's how we grew up playing right so mm-hmm. i would say that we were more uh, skilled then to to be more creative in a way because mm-hmm. now you're getting players that are coming more into these structured football environments where they're yeah. getting coached and there's a bit less freedom maybe to express themselves and and and, and maybe not do all the right things in the right areas, you know, like if you're a centre-back and you're trying to cross-turn in your box or whatever. Maybe do in the past a little bit more and, and it wasn't necessarily coached out of you necessarily. Um, so, so I think that's the biggest difference. So I always think if younger players of our generation and even older had the resources we had today, I mean, who knows? where they you, we could have gone I think you would have been like the Harlem Globetrotters of football who knows <laughs> I'm telling you man 100% <laughs> for sure but it's just different now I think yeah 
Yeah. Is there, is there a big difference? Like, cause you, I've heard you talk about Bristol city as a club. Is there, is there a huge difference? Like, is there a reason why you guys won the league and are getting promoted? Is there what's going on behind the scenes in the club? We talk about structure of, and foundations quite a lot and investment. What's Bristol city doing right? What makes it different? I can honestly say I've never been in a club environment where I felt such like togetherness. Um, and what I mean by that, like I've played in teams that we've been together. In all your teams that you've played in? <laughs> what I mean from an overall club. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of, like Amazing. I've never, I've played at clubs that are integrated in men's clubs, but mm. our entities are separate. Do you know what I mean? Our facilities are all the way down the bottom or whatever. They're at the top. You see them once every blue moon and media day or something like that. But the way our setup is at, at the training ground, for example, we all live in one building. It's open plan. You know, the girls are f- floating through the building just as the boys and the men are. They're interacting. They can talk over lunch. You know, they're talking in a the gym. They're sharing the gym at times. You know, first team men, they're training on one pitch. We can literally train next to them. Mm. That kind of environment. So I feel like even as a, for me, as a coming into coaching, I was like, wow, this is refreshing to see. It's not to say we're perfect yet, but it's a start. And it's, a, you know, the fact that the club are open to doing it and to trialing it, knowing that, okay, this this space wasn't necessarily designed for all of this. We didn't know all this was going to happen, but we're finding ways to make it work. Mm-hmm. I think it's really powerful because the, the men and the girls, you know, the women, they, they learn from each other. They share conversations and experiences and, and you get to, create a work environment, which I've always said in other industries, you go into school and education, teachers, mm. men and women work together, go to the post office, men and women work together. So why can't it be like that in football? It's mm. just another industry, another business where in some spaces you can work together and you can collaborate. So for me, that's been really refreshing. And, you know, I'm not just saying this, like, you know, Nigel Pearson, the, the manager for the men's team, he comes into our office nearly every day, greets everybody, knows everyone's names, you know, knows what's going on in our table. And he's just as excited and enthusiastic yeah. as everyone else. And and that's what I mean by cultivating that environment. And I th- don't think that we've got this promotion by accident. I think it's all, all that good feeling, all that good energy um, transferring throughout the club uh, mm. that has helped the team, our team, get to where they've got to um, in this promotion. It really it's sounds awesome. like a one club sort yeah, of man, mentality, which is, I don't know, it, it seems like it's like, like you say, it sounds like super rare. And I think, I guess another question for me, obviously being another member of Black Footballers Partnership, um, I want to know, is there any sort of good practice or anything that we can celebrate that's happening with, within that club, both maybe from the men's side and the, the, women's, the women's side? I know you're sometimes the poster girl talking about diversity and what it's looking like in the game. Um, I want to know if there's, is there anything happening on the ground maybe that other clubs can learn from or that we can celebrate in terms of football? Yeah. yeah just like I said, you know, the, the commitment to, to, to wanting to uh, put forth the women's game and, and make it interactive, like within the club structure where everyone is engaged across parties but, you know, f- even for Black History Month, for example, you know, we did a massive discussion, sit down uh, with Curtis Fleming, Jason Yule, you know, other members within the club, just to give that visibility um, as well. And to show people in Bristol, but obviously across the country that look, look at all these amazing people, experienced footballers, ex 
footballers and coaches that are here on your doorstep, you know, come and interact with the club. Um, the club has a really good foundation um, as well that works within Bristol with all different communities. Um, and, you know, even for Eads, they've been going out there into the community, understanding what they're doing, celebrating with them, um, bringing football to, the, to them as well. Um, these are all massive parts of the club that, you know, go on behind the scenes as well that are impacting how everyone connects with the football club. And ultimately, that's what we want. So, um, yeah, I, I can honestly say, I'm, you know, I've been really proud to be at Bristol City because I think that they're trying to do the right things. You know, I'm mm. sure getting everything right at this moment in time, but there is a commitment to supporting the women's game um, and to making the club as inclusive as it possibly can be. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's Love rad. That. I mean, we had the Arnold Clark Cup there as a third match and we walked down into the, the dressing rooms and they had like on both sides the posters. It was the men's team, the women's team. It was just sort of all mixed and it was it was really cool. They obviously have at Ashton Gate the, the rugby as well, women as, as well. And it was just, it was yeah. neat to see that they were like, yeah, yeah, the women are, they're awesome. And they were telling us all about it. It's a great city too, Bristol, isn't it? It's a wonderful city. It's a fantastic so cool. city. It's kind of yeah. undersold. People it need to get is. to it. I was like, this is maybe the best city in in England besides London. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you guys down there. Yes. I just want one more question and then maybe we could just throw some quick yeah. fire questions. Just around, um, so obviously promotion, we've seen so often that like the teams that come up, not quite ready to to stay within the WSL in terms of the whole structure. The structure, what you've just explained at, at Bristol City sounds amazing, so interactive, so together. Do you think you have the right resources, financial to try and attract and bring players in to keep you in WSL one next year and compete? That's the thing where the club as a whole, we're going to have to work hard at. Um, do you know what I mean? There's no, there's no understating that it's a big task. Uh, it's a big job for a club like Bristol that doesn't have the same economic capacity, let's say, as some of the top Premier League clubs. Um, and yeah, we're going to have to work really hard in terms of you know recruitment as well. To, to attract, I think, some more maybe experienced players um, to, to compete. But the one thing I can say is having experience being in a relegation battle myself at Villa, that is the kind of knowledge that I will, will share with, you know, the owners and partners at the club because I've lived it, they haven't. So yeah. to some degree, I mean, I've lived it a few years ago, but to really say, you know, on the ground, this is what it's going to take, I think. You know, they need to know that. And I think there is a commitment there, but it's, you can't say, we can't say it's not going to be challenging. I think it is. Um, mm -hmm. we, there's a massive commitment with our club to really develop young players with, through our own system. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll streamline the process as much as we can to get the best possible foundation going into WSL1. Farrah's awesome. available. Yeah, I'm yeah, you can't. Coming out. He's the one coming out. I'll come out for some games. This is a great city. Really, look and watch. I think we have a couple. Do we have a couple of questions from the socials? Yeah, yeah we've we got some. We've got yeah. some quick fire yeah. ones. We've got like five minutes, if that, and then we'll, we'll let you go because appreciate your time. No, yeah. All right. Should we do? Um, should we do some quick fire questions then for you? Go for it. All right. You ready? If you weren't a footballer, what would you be? A writer. Ooh, Ooh. what kind of writing? Um, 
uh, like columns and stuff, like what I'm doing, kind of. Oh, like journalism. Journalism. Oh, journalism. I thought you were yeah. going to say, uh, what's it called? Um, what's the parliament and all that madness? What is it? <laughs> An MP. MP. <laughs> didn't you do, didn't you do <laughs> that study? <laughs> but did you not do the study? Did you not go to university? Yeah, I did that? politics. I did politics. Politician, that's it. Sorry, politician. Oh, yeah, politician. Okay. <laughs> I'll take the next one. <laughs> um, Emma Hayes or Vic Akers? Vic, Emma Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> you put me on the spot there. This is, this is, this is tough. Old Emma Hayes. New school coaching. What's your preference? New school. Me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my favorite question. WSL or NWSL? WSL. Big up. Uh, who will win Big the WSL up. this season? Chelsea. Who's going to get relegated from the WSL this season? Reading. Oh, me! I can't say that! <laughs> Don't say that out loud! <laughs> oh, I'm talking. I've got no more questions for you now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this might help. Who is the best player you've ever played with? Oh, you've played with some good players for me, actually. You played with her in many countries. Marta. Mm, nice one. That was my get. That was my who I would have said. Um, who is the best player you've ever played against? Oh. Against. Um it's just too solid to worry about anyone. I know. <laughs> no. Um did you notice anyone you were playing I, against, Stephen? Who? Yeah, Prince. I get Prince. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh international. Who was the toughest international opponent you faced? Like as in nation, not not individual. Nation. Like, yeah. Germany. Hmm. Yeah. Say it all the time. Will oh, England Germany. win the World Cup next year? This year. This year. Next year? What's next yeah. year? Hold on. Let me, let me rephrase that. Is England going to win the World Cup? I don't think so. <laughs> I love, I love honesty. I just love okay, it. Leah, let me ask that again. With a, full, with a fully fit England squad, would they win the World Cup this year? What do you mean? Yeah. Not the ones that are like definitely out with ACL, right? England could win the World Cup okay. with an unfit England squad. I just don't see it happening. Okay, who's going to win then? Who's going to win? Um, I just can't rule out Germany or USA. I feel like France, tournament. France maybe if they can get over the line, but that's good. you know, we're going off our history, aren't we, Farah? Our trauma, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are. No, that was. Finally. That was good. That was good. Who is in your the way you said no? <laughs> I, I think, I think yeah. Who who is in your all time five aside team? All time five aside team. Ooh, oh, that's tough, man. Um, let's go. I need some defenders, don't I? Do uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kira Grant. Oh. Yeah, she's mm. you know unsung hero. No one really talks yeah. about her, but yeah. one of my best partners. Yeah. Um, we'll go Marta. Yeah, mm -hmm. we'll yeah. go uh, Kelly Smith. 
Yes. We'll go. Um, Farah, you'll go in there. Will I get Can in? Leave. Oh, thanks, <laughs> Yeah. What am I up to? Three, four, four. one more. Four, yeah, one more. Um, and let's put let's put Sam Kerr in there because she yeah. just keeps scoring goals. So you play rush keeper? Yeah, of course. Rush. <laughs> I don't need a keeper. But all attack. Captain Defend. Nid, thanks so much for coming on. You need to go recover yourself. Get uh, you need to be looking after her actually, with the baby on the way and all that. But yeah, go get, <laughs> get a Barocca. Get some Barocca yeah. down here. Thanks so much for coming. Enjoy, enjoy the celebrations and all the best for next season. Don't worry about the game next week. Thanks, guys. thanks for having me. Next time I have all the baby, right. yeah. yeah, soon on the sideline. Cute on the sideline, exactly. Cute, cute. Nah, cheers, Have you done guys. a gender reveal? No, Ethel. No. <laughs> are, are you letting us? Are you are you saying what gender it is or not? We've already said what gender it is, but we don't do all that. Oh, I was just going to say because Ethel is available. Ethel is available in terms of Erfa names. Ethel did her sister's one. <laughs> oh, really? It was good. Everyone, everyone already knows it's all the cats out of the bag. So okay. everyone knows having a baby girl. But if you want to use Ethel, then. Um, I don't mind. It's available. Yeah. What, the name? Yeah, the name. Okay. <laughs> okay is the, the middle name's probably not used that much either. Sweetie, right? Exactly. So, so you could much even option. do an Eartha Sweetie if you really wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Denise. All right. Thanks so much. Thank Have you. a good Thank one. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.